Episode 37. This episode brought to you by ReelsandTackle.com, your family-owned online tackle store. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. Okay, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Justin Lerner, who's coming to us from New Jersey. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's uh, our pleasure to have you on today. And um, looking at your social media and Instagram, I was uh, pretty excited with all the uh, different variety of fish you've caught. And uh, man, you got some great ones on there, and I'm looking forward to jumping into that. But before we do... Let's just talk a little bit about you and uh, and what you do. Okay. Well, uh, I I grew up in New Jersey, um, and you know, fishing and uh, marine life has always been a big part of me. Um, so uh, when it came time career wise, I uh, ended up going down to University of Miami um, mm-hmm. to study uh, marine biology. Uh, oh. I got my bachelor's and master's down there. Nice. Um, got to do some cool research on swordfish, uh, tagging research. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then I ended up, um, working for the state of Florida for a little while and, uh, I ended up back up in New Jersey. Um, I'm actually working in business right now, but, uh, a little bit of a transition, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been interesting. Very cool. So did you work for the fish and wildlife commission here in Florida? Yes, I did. I worked for the FWC. I was living in Tallahassee. Okay, very cool. Yeah, just for for those who who don't know, um, FWC controls all the fisheries and wildlife and hunting and everything in in Florida. So uh, you can imagine with all of the the water we have here, both fresh and salt, they're they're a really big part of uh, the state government and really important for conservation efforts. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the FWC, the FWC does a great job in managing all all the state's resources. They're really, it's really commendable the job they do. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was just curious about the uh, swordfish um, study that you got to do. Kind of tell us what what that was all about, and you know what you learned from that. Sure. Well, uh, you know, going to school down in South Florida, I got to experience or Southeast Florida. I got to experience a lot of really cool fisheries there, and um, given the how close the Gulf Stream runs to the shore and uh, how um, really steep the shelf is there, you have a lot of a lot of pelagic fisheries that come in very close. And swordfish, swordfish is one of them. So right. I started sword fishing um, back then. It was exclusively a nighttime deal, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you go out and basically drift in the Gulf Stream over anywhere from, you know, 900 to 1500 feet of water and, uh, you know, just wait for uh, wait for a bite from swordfish. And I uh, I got became fascinated after catching a few of these, uh, a few of those um, impressive predators and decided that I wanted to study them. So uh, while I was in grad school, I got to talking with uh, some advisors and basically looking into research needs. And there hadn't been, there'd been a few swordfish that had been tagged off South Florida. Um, but 
we basically looked at uh, the fish's behavior um, in what we call vertical migration, which is basically the fish moving up and down in the water column mm. um, in response to what happens from day to night and what happens at uh, various phases of the moon. And basically what we found is that swordfish have a very predictable vertical migration pattern. They're in the upper waters of the water column, upper being quote unquote, I mean, you're talking anywhere from zero to or surface water down to about 300 feet at night. And then during the day, they go right down and they sit deep along the bottom anywhere from, you know, uh, 12, 1500 to well over 2000 feet. In fact, uh, had one fish that dove during the day to uh, 4,750 Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. One of the guys at the marina that I fish out of, which is kind of up middle of the state in Florida on, on the Atlantic side, brought in a swordfish. Um, this is a couple months ago. And so I got to see one up close and those eyes. Wow. I mean, they're just like big black saucers and you can understand why it you know during the light hours they would be down lower because those eyes are really meant to uh you know see during the low light it looks like oh yeah absolutely and uh you know there's it's there's also a huge migration of um what's called the deep scattering layer which is largely planktonic organisms which are followed by bait fish and squid and everything that the swordfish feed on and but it is a very it 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 is light driven and swordfish uh what we also found was during the darker phases of the moon uh the swordfish um would be up closer to the surface when you had a brighter moon they'd be down a little bit deeper swordfish are just fascinating and uh i think just to uh just to catch one for most people would be uh you know kind of a fish of a lifetime epic trip but uh getting to study them like that man that's really cool yeah it was a great experience Awesome. I was also going to say in uh, your uh, exotic fish catching or, or cool fish catching wasn't just limited to, to Florida. Uh, you told me before the interview, you spent some time in Australia as well, right? Yes, I had a, I had a great opportunity um, to, to live uh, in Australia for about a year. Um, I was centered over in, in the Brisbane area, but uh, I did take advantage of uh, traveling around a bit. And I got to see a lot of the country and got to uh, fish a lot of cool waters for a lot of excellent species. Yeah, tell us a, a few of those. Uh, what, you know, what it is you got to c- catch over there in Australia? Well, um, barramundi uh, is one of the iconic fish from uh, Australia, and right. we got to uh, I got to fish them both. Uh, they're very similar to snook. Um, right. They can tolerate okay. both fresh and salt water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fit. I fished for them both up in the mangrove uh, coastal areas up uh, east. It was yeah east of Darwin, up in the Northern Territory, um, and I also got to fish for them in uh, one of the small rivers uh, down around the um, inshore Fraser Island. I'm not inshore, uh, inside of Fraser Island. Mm-hmm. Um, the name of the town's escaping me right now, but they're they're an excellent game fish, um, and fishing in the Northern Territory was, uh, it looked similar to Florida, but the one thing that you really have to contend with up there are the large saltwater crocodiles. And, <laughs> and fishing yeah. for years in Florida, I never felt, you know, I never really was afraid of alligators, but these crocodiles are much, much larger, um, up to, you know, 15 feet. And one day it ended up, uh, 
our guide ended up um, running aground, and myself and the other charter had to jump over and, and push the boat off of the sandbar into muddy water, <laughs> which was uh, pretty interesting. But <laughs> Little hairy, huh? Um, oh, yeah. Um, but in addition to that, I mean, there's a lot of cool inshore species. They have queenfish that look like a cross between a jack and a dolphin. Hmm. Um, okay. And they, uh, they're, they're great topwater species, and they fight real hard. They jump. Um, they're usually very willing to smack anything you throw at them. Nice. I also did some marlin fishing at, a uh, Port Stevens. Um, we went and caught, caught some big striped marlin up to, uh, up to like around 275 plus or minus pounds, um, which is big for stripes. Uh, I unfortunately did not get the chance to go up to the Great Barrier Reef to target, uh, big black marlin, but that'll be on the, that'll be next time. <laughs> okay. So they have stripe. And black, do, do they have the blue marlin or the whites over yep. there? Uh, not the whites, but they do. They have uh, they have blues, stripes, and uh, blacks, and wow. they have them pretty much on both coasts. Uh, and it's it's a really good. I mean, most most of the areas have uh, pretty good bill fisheries, especially the east coast. You know, you have uh, they have a lot of times they'll have inshore juvenile black marlin. Um, you know. Uh, 50 to a little over 50 to maybe 150 pounds, but then you get the real big ones, uh, granders off of the Great Barrier Reef uh, right. later in the fall. Well, in our fall, um, from you know like September through December. But there are blues. Uh, blues are abundant, and stripes are abundant. Wow, man! Well, that's some pretty epic fishing you've done uh, on on both sides of the of the globe there. So I'm I'm getting really excited to hear what the, your most epic adventure is going to be, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Stay tuned. If I could use only one bait for inshore saltwater fishing, it would have to be the flats jig. It is extremely versatile, and different weights of jig heads can be used to fish from depths of just a few inches all the way down to several feet, and it catches all the target species. Just attach a swim bait, get that tail thumping, and the fish are sure to follow. Go to tell.fish slash gear to check out the flatch jigs that we like the best. All right, we are back with Justin Lerner, and we've been talking about some of the uh, incredible fishing that he's had an opportunity to do, both uh, here in the States and over in Australia. Uh, when he lived over there for for a time, but now we want to uh, talk about his most epic day of fishing, which I understand was an offshore saltwater fishing day. Correct? Yes, uh, I was giant bluefin tuna fishing with uh, the Bruce Brothers fishing charters up in Prince Edward Island, up uh, off of uh, well, it's a little north of Nova Scotia in the Atlantic. Okay. Basically, uh, it was the first year. I'd gone up to target them, um, went up with a good friend of mine and we hit it just right. And the herring were in and the big tuna were there feeding on them. And pretty much we fished four days, pretty much every day. Uh, you know, you'd pull up to their herring, they'd set herring nets overnight and you'd pull up to the herring nets. And once, uh, they lifted the nets up and started throwing herring overboard, you'd immediately start seeing huge tuna boiling around the boat. Um, the, the best day, uh, out of all those days, which is pretty hard to pick because they were all um, epic days. I mm -hmm. mean, just just lots of big fish was uh, the day I released um, my largest fish to date, which is a bluefin uh, estimated at 1,200 pounds. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember 
going out and you can kind of sometimes pick the fish that you throw the bait to. And, uh, I remember saying, I don't want to throw, throw any of these baits in front of a fish unless it's really big. <laughs> and the one we got to eat, yeah, just a knockdown drag out fight, um, on a one, th- on a pen one thirty drag maxed out over, over 80 pounds of drag to turn the head of this fish. And, uh, what's fortunate about that area is that you're catching them in relatively shallow water. So you're catching them in between 60 to a hundred feet. Oh, so my the fish goodness. really, wow. yeah, they can run out, but they can't really go too far down. If yeah. a fish like this was hooked, I mean, the, the fight, uh, was around an hour. If a fish like this was hooked, say, you know, in 1500 feet of water, forget about it. It'd be a right. very, very long fight, but it was absolutely the toughest battle I'd ever had. And uh, <laughs> we finally got our boat side, just the, you know, by far the largest fish that I'd ever caught. And it's just, it's just amazing to see them in the water. And, and the great thing about it up there is uh, the guys keep um, one or two commercially per year, depending on how many tags they get, mm-hmm. but uh, the rest of it's catch and release. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was equally as good to see that fish swim away right. as it was to catch it. Wow, 1,200 pounds. That is a monster, right? I mean, kind of the average size for the tuna from what I've seen on TV shows when they're catching them seems to be like, you know, six, seven, eight hundred or, you know, several yeah. hundred. Is that is that about right? Yeah. Yes, six to eight hundred would be right around the average fish you'll get there. I mean, they're all as, as far as I mean, anything under 500 pounds is considered small, which is <laughs> which is just nuts yeah, um, right. anywhere else. But, uh, yeah, I mean, um, your average fish is like six to 800 pounds, but they do get, you know, do get granders with fair regularity. But, uh, yeah, 1200 was, was a very, very big fish. Okay. So, so I'm still trying to picture this site fishing for bluefin tuna. So they're literally just kind of swimming around the boat and, uh, you can see which one you want to toss a bait to. Well, in that, in that type of condition, yes. When they're, when they're up and feeding and the herring are in and uh, they're all around the boat and they're feeding aggressively. Yeah. I mean, we actually would have fun just taking, um, I, I, I took like a spinning rod and without a hook or anything, mm-hmm. just tied the line around the tail of a herring and would cast it out and skip it across the surface like a top water and they'd come up and slam it. <laughs> and then of course the line would just pull off. But uh, oh, man. yeah, I mean, other times uh, it's, even even when it's it's not like that, when you're not able to hand feed them next to the boat, I mean you're you're usually um, drifting with baits, and uh, you'll usually get a couple of bites a day, which is still really really good. But if you get if you hit it just right, yeah, you can hand feed them next to the boat and just sit there. I remember the first fish that I caught up there was a thousand pounds. I caught on stand up, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember. I remember we'd gotten them going next to the boat and uh, I remember walking up strapped to the rod and looking down in the water and just for, for the few split seconds before we threw the bait in really wondering if this is something I should be doing as <laughs> I weigh maybe 175 pounds on a good day. And uh, they're all just monstrous fish. You got your money's worth on that one, huh? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Man. Okay. So you caught the first, the, that first grander was st- with stand up gear. But the twelve hundred yes. was was uh, sit down in a chair in a fighting chair. Yes. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we fought a lot of fish, so I alternated between the two. I enjoy fighting fish, 
both from the chair and stand up. So yeah. I like to mix up a little bit of both of them. Yeah, but thousand pounds. I mean, that's pretty hairy when you're locked in on a fish like that. I I always feel a little nervous uh, with those rigs. You know, where you're, you know, you've got the harness strapped to you, and then you know the rod is strapped to the harness, and you know if oh, some, yeah. something goes wrong, it it could go really wrong. You know, do, do that? Do their mates have a a knife to cut that? You know, if if something happens, or how how do you what do you do yeah. for safety with that rig? Well, um, we also have a uh, a safety knife, um, which is basically plastic around the end, and it's kind of got like a, a U shape at the end, and there's a razor blade in the center, and oh, kind of like a hook. To, yeah, yeah. So you can just quickly if something happens, um, it's it's tied to uh, the fighting harness. So if something happens, you can just grab that and, okay. and cut it. Uh, real quick. Yeah, that's a uh, definite <laughs> safety feature, more so than I think uh, life life vests or uh, like fire extinguisher on the boat. If you're going to be doing that kind of fishing, you definitely want to be able to cut that line if something happens. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. So a thousand pounds. So what was that fight like? You know, stand up gear on a on a thousand pound fish. I mean, how how, how did that fight go? Well, I mean, basically these fish, uh, they initially when they're hooked, they just burn drag off. I mean, they'll empty most of the spool, even with the, uh, the boat following the fish. And mm-hmm. then, uh, they'll just keep pulling drag and, um, basically the tuna will eventually go spiral underneath the boat as they get tired. Okay. And that's when it really gets tough. Cause yeah. you got to keep their head coming up. And with fish that size, I mean, you're usually talking when they get to that point of the fight of 50, 60 plus pounds of drag. Um, it's tough to move them otherwise. So we're you're using what hundred pound test line on on those reels? Uh, more. I mean, you're usually using anywhere from um, usually using a lot of times like two hundred pound. Wow. Uh, two hundred pound braid or dacron. Oh, okay. It using braid. And then uh, you know to uh, usually a, a mono top shot of two hundred pound. Okay. And to a you know two hundred one hundred and thirty to two hundred pound leader something like that, um, which. You know, when you get down to the actual breaking strength of the braid, I mean, you can never actually break it. Uh, right. You couldn't yourself. Right. But, uh, yeah, that <laughs> that that fish, uh, if he, you know, got the got rod in an awkward position or, or something, could definitely do some some uh, damage to that equipment for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm just curious, if anybody was, uh, and, and you did this for four days? Yeah, with the first day, the first trip we took was uh, four days. Man, wow, you are <laughs> Yeah, that you're you're a maniac. That's that's pretty wild going after those fish. You know, I think a lot of guys would uh you know, after going through a battle with a grander would would probably say that's enough and throw in the towel, but uh, <laughs> you went back for more. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely beat up after those couple of days. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet you were sore and your back was saying, "What are you doing to me here?" Just uh, as we kind of close it out here, what would you, if somebody wanted to go and try that, you know, what would you uh, recommend uh, that they do? Anything you need to do to prepare or, you know, just kind of get out there and, and get after it? Uh, well, ec- definitely exercise. Uh-huh. Um, definitely work on uh, work on your thighs, back, things like that. Okay. Um, to make sure you're in in tip top working shape for those kind of fights, right? And then um, and, and find and the right guy. Yes, uh, yeah. Which if I can mention, um, the, the operation up there that we fished with for many years is Bruce Brothers, and they're absolutely the best. Okay, um, cool. 
great guys to fish with, always put us on fish. So, um, I definitely recommend them, but yeah, if you're, uh, you're headed up there make sure you get some exercise and (laughs) make sure you're in shape (laughs) yeah for sure boy because uh i bet if you're not ready for for a 1200 pounder to uh snatch on the other end of the line you're gonna be in for a shock yeah (laughs) wow well justin that was incredible man just thinking about those massive fish and the fight that you must have had that's that's just amazing and uh i really appreciate you coming on the show today to share that with us absolutely thank you so much for having me here at the telltale fisherman podcast we are looking to record the most epic fishing stories from around the planet if you are listening to us from outside the u.s we would love to have you share an epic fishing adventure from your country go to www.tell.fish guest to sign up to be on the show today. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.